0: Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the world of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them.
1: Well, good morning, church. It is good to see all of you who have come at this nine o'clock hour to hear from the Lord. And thank you, young people, for the reading of God's word If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to remain in Acts chapter 14 uh, because I believe this is a word that we as a church that has an ambition to be a missionary church, uh, we need to pay attention to this. We need to open our hearts to hear what God would have us hear. These are not words that I just thought up in, in my office. These are indeed ancient words, eternal words from the Father who seeks us to be his children. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, how grateful we are that you are not content to speak with ambiguity, that you desire to be known, that you speak with clarity, and you give us ancient words, reliable words, words that transform and empower. And Father, I pray that you would Let those words sink deep into the soil of our hearts this morning. And that you would find in us people who desire not just to hear, but to be and to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning as we come to this portion in our study of the book of Acts, we find that these missionaries, we know them to be Paul and Barnabas. Uh, What we heard mentioned in Acts chapter 13, that Barnabas' nephew was also with them. His name was John Mark. But mostly we hear the two protagonists, the two main missionaries. And this we see, God's Word, just opening up a window for us on the first missionary journey. And so as we are walking through this book, the book of Acts, really God's activity among His people we need to ask a question. If you're going to be on mission, and I'm not just talking about the missionaries that we support all around this region. I'm talking about each of us. If we are going to be in partnership with the almighty, eternal God, who should we be and what should we be about? That's a question that we should answer in this series called Not Ashamed. And as we do this, I want to just kind of lay a foundation for this kind of year-long conversation that we've been having that we've entitled, Not Ashamed of the Gospel. What does that really mean? We're not ashamed of the gospel. And up until this point, we've kind of been talking about the gospel in terms of content. What is the content of the gospel? What does it mean that Christ came, lived a sinless life, didn't have to die, but willingly gave up his life to make peace between people and God. What does it mean that he wasn't just a good teacher, but didn't just stay dead, rose again and lives today? What does that mean? We've been focusing on that, but this morning, I want to talk about the gospel in terms of God's revelation to humanity. The gospel in terms of how God has revealed himself. Now, Theologians, and I just got this image because if you're thinking about being a theologian, you need to know what you should look like. Uh, this is a painting obviously representing the two main streams of the universal church, the Catholic church and the Protestant church. And, and you can see the, the poor Catholic theologian is looking at his Protestant brother and probably thinking, why are you so like that? And clear, clearly the Protestant is going, Humph, I was predestined to be like this. And, and I don't know if you can notice from where you're sitting, out from the Protestant churches are, are these lines of what is that verbal imagery of this blast coming out of the pulpit of the Protestant. I don't in any way aim to be like that. It just happens. Theologians are men Who study God. And over the course of history, theologians have said there are two broad ways that God reveals Himself to humanity. There are two ways. One way is called general revelation. So I just want to spend a few moments talking about the distinctions between general and special revelation. So, general revelation says God. Oh, excuse me, God reveals Himself. I'll just go back um, through the natural world. You don't have to go to Sunday school to see God. General revelation says God exposes Himself through the natural world, through reason and through inherent moral sense. In other words, God wants us to know just by looking around that He exists. His creation, the the beauty of it, the, the fact that we have been gifted with rational minds that connect dots between what we observe and what we assume and an inherent moral sense that points itself to the fact that our moral conscience suggests a higher being that has designed us for a higher mindset. That's what general... Revelation says, it's it's what the Apostle Paul was referring to, to the Roman church when he wrote in chapter one of Romans, what can be known about God is plain because God has shown it for his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature have been how clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Therefore, he says, men have no excuse. Now, Paul's premise, then, is even if you weren't born in a Jewish family, at that time, Jews represented the one people in the world that believed there was this one sentient being, this one God who made all things, who desires worship and glory, who put all things in order. That was the Jewish people, there wasn't Muslims, there weren't Christians at that time. But he was saying, you don't have to be born into a Hebrew family to know there is God. You just need to pay attention. Because of his general revelation. Now, if, if we're thinking this just about church language, it, it's not. All of us function with general revelation and we make assumptions just as the Apostle Paul did as he wrote this Roman church. In fact, many of you, right, you have watches, right? I, I don't know. This might be a good time to take it off just for those of you who notice there's actually no clock in this building. And you're a little bit anxious about lunch, right? So if you have a watch like I do, just, just if you would, take it off and, and look at it clearly. I don't know if you've ever done this. I just did this this week just in case. I've looked my watch over clearly, and it talks about an aluminum case and some ion glass, ceramic back. But what I've found is nowhere on this watch is the name of the guy who made it. Now, maybe if you're looking at your watch, and I'll put this right here just to comfort you. Maybe if you're looking at your watch, it might say, made in Switzerland or Swiss timing. But it probably doesn't say... Made by, you know, Luca Anaker. Probably doesn't say that. You assume because you have a watch that somewhere in this world, right, there's a watch maker. That's general revelation. The fact that there is a watch on your hand or on your arm suggests that somewhere in the world, Luca is making watches. That's all the Apostle Paul is saying. Open your eyes, look at creation. You know, not even a, a person like you're probably young who doesn't wear a watch because time doesn't matter that much to you. You're not Antichrist, you're like Antichronos. You don't believe in watches. Not even you would say, I don't believe there's any watchmakers. Not even you would say, you know, watch it what just happened because there was, you know, somewhere a big bang, and all these watch parts living in chaos and disorder suddenly ordered themselves, watch, got watch. Right? You wouldn't say that. That's why the Apostle Paul says, even if all you have is general revelation, it's still evidence that there's a watchmaker. There is some being who put it All together. Special revelation, though, says that God reveals himself directly to an individual or a group. Special revelation would be like the watchmaker calls you up and says, Hello, my name is Luca. I made your watch. I'm hoping we could get together. I want to know you better. I am the watchmaker, I made your watch, I made your father's watch, I made the watches of all your ancestors, that's special. Because that suggests the watchmaker, not only does he exist, but the watchmaker wants to be known. He wants to be known and to be known by you. So general revelation simply says you can know about God. But special revelation says this God wants to be known. He wants you to know him and he wants you to know that he's active in his world. When God spoke to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 6 and 7 when He said, The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people of His treasured possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. But it was because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord brought you out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. This is the watchmaker calling you up specifically saying, you know, there's lots of people that can see watches, but I want you to know me. I've chosen you. It's not because you're better. It's not because you're the only person with an Apple watch. I'm Steve Jobs and I want to know you. That would be a big day for Apple lovers. Mostly because, you know, he's dead. But this was the living God who spoke to a people who were not a people, who were the smallest of all nations. And this was the God who specifically and especially said, I choose to love you. And all of us are a result of a God who says, not only do I choose to love them, but now I go out and seek others who are not them, and I choose to adopt you, to love you as my own. This is special revelation. When God spoke directly to Abraham, that was special revelation. It revealed a God who was specific and personal, who desired to be known. When God spoke to Isaiah in the temple, when Isaiah trembled at the sight and sound of his holiness, that was special revelation. And when God moved into the womb of a young Palestinian girl, Christ became the clearest picture of special revelation that humanity can possibly know. So, general revelation says the existence of creation suggests, sorry, the existence of a creator. Special revelation says I have met the creator. I have been changed forever by that encounter by the creator. This divine encounter draws us into relationship with him and with each other. That's why in First John chapter 1, verse 13, the Apostle John wrote this. That which we have, what? Seen and heard. We proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus. And this is what is happening in Acts chapter 14. In Acts chapter 14... This missionary team arrives at Iconium. They entered together into a Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way. They didn't say, okay, uh, we're going to go on a, you know, a retreat and we're going to enjoy all of God's creation. And that's going to remind us that he is. They spoke clearly. They said, this is The word of the Lord to you. And scripture says, a great many of both Jews and Greeks then believed. But, why not just general revelation, right? Because those of you who are like me, like I'm actually an introvert. We just want to live, don't be laughing, it's true. (laughs) We just want to live in the world of introverts, which means... I'm going to change the world just by being an awesome guy. Like, I don't want to be offensive and go on in people's face and just kind of say it out. I I want to just live a good testimony. We call that friendship evangelism. No, it's actually general revelation. Can you see I'm awesome so somewhere there's an awesome maker? Did you get that? Are, Are you paying attention to that? But, but. Secondly, we need to know there's risk in general revelation. So, all of us know in Singapore, there's a speed limit of 90, right? 90 kilometers per hour, no matter what I dream about, is the fastest you can legally drive in Singapore. We we don't drive above the speed limit in Singapore because there is special revelation posted all over the place. Just so that we don't have to be especially observant. So, we, we don't speed in Singapore, right? If we want to speed, we go to Malaysia. <laughs> now, I'm not saying the Singaporeans all go to Malaysia just so they can break the law and, and, and break the speed. I'm I'm just saying that if you get on the North-South Expressway, suddenly... 90 is not the speed limit. Suddenly, the speed limit is 110, right? It's posted there, and it feels good because if you're going 110 and you're on a six-hour trip, you're going to get there three hours faster. Okay, I don't do math, but I'm just saying (laughs) you will get there faster because, you know, you're going 20 kilometers per hour faster. You'll get there sooner. So that feels good to me. Cross the causeway. See that sign, 110? So years ago... When our boys were still younger, Sherry and I had a little um, Japanese van, Mitsubishi Delica. It was an awesome little van. I don't know why I called it a Chinese van because it actually is a Japanese van. But one day we were driving on the North-South Highway and I kind of watched my speed limit um, because I, you know, I've got a mother in the car who's constantly reminding the driver, little eyes are watching, little ears are listening. So I'm trying to govern myself, but I'm going about 103, 104, and suddenly a police roadblock. And they pull me over. Pull me over. I was feeling a little bit indignant. And and there was some debate because, you know, the police officers there suddenly saw the white face behind the wheel, and they had to argue about who had to deal with a Saleh. And so I'm assuming the guy with the lowest amount of credentials had to deal with me. Lowest tenure, deal with that guy. So he comes over in his best English, he said, Your van cannot go that fast. Now, the, now, those of you who dream about being a joker, if you want to be a joker, timing is everything. And when a policeman pulls you over, that is not the time. That is not the time. However, I'm not always paying attention. So when he said, Your van cannot go that fast. I said, oh, actually, because in Malaysia you have to start every sentence with actually. Actually, can't go much faster. <laughs> Which made him a little, um, okay, more than a little unhappy. And he began to shake his finger. Not polite Malay pointing. Shake his finger like this. Your van cannot this go this fast. I said, of course can. I wasn't trying to be argumentative. But technically... It had an engine that could go much faster. So I was just speaking truth to power. <laughs> he continued and insisted. He said, your van can only go 90. I was like, what? What do you mean it can only go 90? I see the sign. It says speed limit 110. And you know what he said to me? You don't notice the lorries? You see how slowly they're driving? Up? I said, yeah, that really is irritating. Why can't they go faster? Because their speed limit only 70. And your speed limit, only 90. You should notice. Do you think, white guy, you're the only one who can go 110 in your van when all the other vans in Malaysia can only go 90? I was like, how am I supposed to know that? You should pay attention, he said. You should pay attention. Now that day, I learned about general revelation. I was supposed to get the fact that because I was passing every van on the road, then I should slow down. Even though I was not going the posted speed limit of 110, I should know by general observation all the other vans going 90 and lorries even slower, going 70. You see, here's the danger of general revelation. Whether you're paying attention or not, you're still going to meet the judge. Because that day... He wrote me a non-compoundable fine. The summons mean have to show up in court. And and the judge didn't need information. He didn't need me to cry out, I need a witness. He just needed 300 ringgit. You see, see, this this is why the Lord God in Deuteronomy chapter 30 said this, I... Am calling heaven and earth as witnesses against you. But then Christ came. No longer is this God who desires to be known, satisfied with rocks and trees, crying out. He called upon his people, live for me, be my ambassadors, speak on my behalf. You see, there's a second danger too to general revelation Because in Acts chapter 14, the Apostle Paul got to Lyconia. And now here's something we should know about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul could speak Hebrew. He was an educated man. He could speak Greek. He probably spoke Aramaic, the street language. He may even have spoken Latin. But one language he did not speak was the Lyconian dialect. The, The Lyconians may or may not have understood his words clearly. But they could see stuff, and what they saw was power. And you see, without special revelation, people will observe creation and press their observations through their own religious culture. That's why I tell people, don't tell me some people have dreams and then simply come to Jesus. Because those people will have a dream and then they will go to their religious teacher to interpret it. And their religious teacher will say, that was the prophet. That was not Jesus. And when these men came speaking Greek and sharing the special revelation of God... God responded with general revelation. There were signs and there was wonders. These people pressed those signs and wonders through their own religious culture and declared them. They're Greek gods. Barnabas, interestingly, not Paul. Barnabas, he's Zeus, the king of the gods, because he was probably just standing back there. And, and Paul, he's Hermes or Mercury He's the God of traitors, meaning he's the one that's always shouting on corners, selling stuff. right? And, and even the priest of Zeus brings out a bull to, to sacrifice. And, and Scripture says when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, this is verses 14 and 17, heard of it. Why did they hear of it? Because they couldn't hear and understand it. They were speaking in their own dialect. Do you you think language is not important? In special revelation, we are empowered to speak with clarity. Let me interpret tongues for you. Can I do that? Because in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon these illiterate fishermen and tax collectors and political zealots, They suddenly were given what? The Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke in what? Pentecostal tongues. Let me tell you, they were speaking Aramaic. But all those people from all over the known world were hearing in their own heart tongue. That's Pentecostal tongues. And then Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius and other Gentile friends came to Christ, it says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in tongues, Now, don't think that's Corinthian tongues. Why do you know it's not Corinthian tongues? Because when the apostles made the report, when Peter went back to Jerusalem, gave the report, the apostles there in Jerusalem said, we cannot deny them baptism since they have received the Holy Spirit. How? Just as we did. Acts 2. God's Spirit comes to empower His people to communicate good news with clarity and power. And so the Apostle Paul began to try and interpret this general revelation. And he said something very similar as to what he wrote to the Roman church. He said, you know, in, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet... He did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Look up and ask where that food and gladness came from. It comes from the God who now desires to be known by you, who now desires to know you. In those days... Creation was his witness. In those days, the Apostle Paul said his glory was communicated by the heavens and the earth. But now we are his witnesses. We exist to communicate his glory. And friends, we need to understand this. The church at Antioch was a community centered on the gospel And gospel communities exist to be ambassadors for this God who desires to be known. He's not content that people would know about Him. He's not content that creation points to Him or bears witness against humanity. He desires to be known, and so we are His witnesses. There is a clear, divine preference for special revelation. I don't know if you've heard of deism. Deism is the preference of those who desire general revelation. Deism solves the problem of evil by teaching that God, you know, sure, He was the watchmaker, but once He got it running, He left it, And walked off. God is a God who is uninvolved in his world. He doesn't intervene. And that's why there's Hitlers and Ayatollahs and fascist dictators. Because God, he's just walked away and uninvolved. Friends, the early believers were not deists. They believed they existed to represent The words, the good news of the God of creation. And they believed that every breath, they were to be stewards of this God's good news. We can see this throughout this chapter. In verse 3, it says, "...so they remained a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace by granting signs and wonders done by their hand." Verses six and seven says, they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding count country where they continued to what? Preach the gospel. Now, I know what some of you are doing because I used to do this too. When I was running from my call to pastor, I was like, okay, um, whew, fortunately, I'm not a preacher. So, um, this missionary stuff, uh, I'll um, take a pass on that one. Because I, I'm not the kind of guy that likes stand in front of people and shout. Uh, I'm I'm just like quiet, I want to do my own thing, be a nice testimony. You know, actually, in the original Greek Bible, there is not that phrase. Continued to preach the 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 only thing. Literally, if I was to read this straight from the Greek, it would say they continued. To gospel. They continued to represent, to be ambassadors for the word of the King of creation. Verses eight and nine says, There there was a man there. He was sitting, he couldn't use his feet, he was crippled from birth, he had never walked, and he was listening to Paul speaking. It doesn't say he was watching all the signs and wonders. It says he was intently listening to Paul speaking. Special revelation. Somehow, this crippled man, the best news was, oh, I bet you in a moment I'm going to get up and walk. No, the best news for him was this living, awesome God wants to know this crippled man. He listened intently. Verse 18 says, even with these words, they could scarcely restrain the people. Verse 21 says, when they had gospeled in every city. Again, in your Bible, it probably said when they had preached the gospel in every city. Simply the verb, gospel. When they'd shared good news in that city, they went on to the next and the next and the next city. And then verse 25 says, and when they had spoken the word in Perga." Those of us who desire to be missionaries in Singapore, those of us who desire to be missionaries in Thailand, in Indonesia, in China, presence is not enough. If you're an ambassador for somebody great, you should speak a word on his behalf. This is the divine preference. Why? Because there's much danger in ambiguity. Then, uh, finally, we'll do this quickly. A special words or special revelation keeps speaking words of life. Special revelation, the gospel is for every day. I wonder how many of us remember last week Pastor Eugene saying the gospel is not just an entry point. It's not just a door into the fellowship with Jesus Christ and each other. The gospel is is for every day. The end of this chapter, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas have gone to all of these cities on the island of Crete, and now they're going home to Antioch. Let's just assume that the church at Antioch was full of people who had already entered the fellowship of Christ and with each other through the door of the gospel. And yet, these missionaries came home speaking the gospel to their own people, to those who already believed. And and what were the main highlights of that gospel message? First, they returned to Lystra and then to Iconium, then to Antioch, home church, the missionary church, GBC Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. Now, I'm fascinated by that word, strengthening. You know, the word actually comes from a Greek noun that literally means leaning post. Um, Now, some of you know that my second office is on the East Coast Park because free flow coffee. And I was there a week ago at, okay, those of you who don't know, McDonald's. I have to be there at six o'clock. And at six o'clock, right where I generally stand, they were building something, which initially I felt like it's really irritating. Why why are you building something right where people stand waiting for their order to be filled? And, And I asked this man I always talk to, I I've told him, by the way, you should know this. I, you know, I'm actually still on probation. If this doesn't work out for me, I will come and work with you. Would that be okay? So we have, we're quite close. <laughs> I said, well, what, what are you building right here where, where I like to stand waiting for my order or very close to where I like to top up my coffee? He said, oh, this one is for you. For me, especially for me. He said, yeah, you come in very sweaty, riding your bike. And so many people riding their bike, jogging on the park. Roads. And he said, "This one is for all of you. You know what it is? It's um, uh, if I can get it. Yeah, it's a leaning post. <laughs> you just put your bum right there. Just rest back. Do <laughs> you see? This is exactly the same word that the apostles were were using to strengthen the church." They, they just assume that they've been out there running the rat race. And, and if you can go anywhere and set your heart down, it ought to be in the fellowship of God's people. If, there, if there's any place that you can really feel rested, it should be among God's people. This is the gospel. And if we're going to represent the God who wants to be known, we will speak words on His behalf Speak words of strength and and life. We come together. That is gospeling. And and I want to encourage you not to leave this place until you've gospeled somebody in this room. Strengthened somebody. You said, you know, here, whatever's going on in your life, just lean on this post. We're we're here to bear it up and lift up one another. But but there's something else. Not, Not only did he strengthen the saints in Antioch, he encouraged them. And uh, <clears throat> I, I know this is, I don't need to define encouragement, do I? I mean, I, I must, I, can I just assume we know what the English word means? It means when you see me, you say, whoa, pastor, you drop weight, right? You know, sometimes in our English culture, we, we assume that encouragement is figuring out what people want you to say and then saying it. But, but actually, encouragement in the, in the Greek is like unexpected. It, it, it's not based upon the performance of the object of your encouragement. It's based upon my own character. It, it's based upon the living, almighty King of creation who desires to be known and to know, speaking out of my mouth. Words of life, ancient words, words that heal. And, and it's fascinating, that, that word that's been borrowed by parachurch organizations. It's parakaleo, which means, I run up. to some, You know, it's a, a word borrowed out of Greek athletics. It's not about the athlete who's running. It's about the people who are standing on the pavement, cheering him on. And nowadays in a marathon, you can't, can't run up to the runner and say, you go girl, you're awesome. You, you can't do that. You've, you've got to stand on the sidelines and, and shout it out. That's an encourager. Not, not actually a participant, but, but someone who meets participants, runners, all along the way, shouting out encouragement. Building them up. Strengthening them. Now... I don't know if you heard several years ago the Boston Marathon. There was a horrific bombing. Two young men decided to not represent the God of life. And several runners and participants were, were killed. That has transformed the Boston Marathon Marathon. And, and, and this is what every runner experiences. Now, imagine in your Christian life that the Apostle Paul compared to a marathon when he said, I'm pouring myself out. I've run the race. I'm about to finish the course. Imagine if the course was lined with gospel-believing, gospel-speaking believers who had hands out. And from this image, you can't really hear what they're crying out. You can't really Hear what they're saying. And, and there's so many people shouting encouragement, offering water, that now the practice is they began to hold signs up. You know, I don't know if you can see some of these signs from there. Touch here for power. Like, like if, if you're a leaning post, lean here for power, buddy. Are you worn out? Are you exhausted by the run? Touch here. I love that sign. Go, random stranger. I don't even know you, but I want to encourage you, not because I know what you're doing, not because I know you're worthy of it, but you deserve this because you are in the race. You see that sign in the back, wicked hard, but you could do it. Wicked means it's really hard. This is the Boston dialect. It's like Lyconium. And, and signs like Boston loves you. And, and another photo, there, there was this sign that says, you run better than our government. You know, it's, it's encouragement. Like, like how many of you have not been running yourself weary this week? And, and the last thing you need when you're running a race is someone to shout from the sidelines, hey, if you change your cadence, you'd be doing better. Or, or you don't need someone to say, hey, what, what's your five-year plan? What's your five-minute plan? You'll never finish this race unless you change things up. Right? If, If you're weak and broken, you don't need a rocket science to tell you that. You feel it. If you're broken down and wounded, if you're bruised by life, you don't need someone to stand out there and point out your bruises. You just need someone to say, it's wicked hard, but you can do it. You just need someone in your life to say, you know, lean here for power. Rest in this. I want to invite you to bow with me for just a moment because we're getting ready to come to the Lord's table. You know, Scripture encourages us before we come to this intimate love feast, a feast that memorializes, remembers the death and resurrection of Christ, the price He paid so that God could be known In that moment, the Apostle Paul spoke the gospel and said, examine your hearts. Make sure you're paying attention. I want want to ask you, in this moment, as we prepare to come to the table, is there someone in this room, you know the race has been beating them up you know life is being hard. As you examine your heart and prepare to meet with the Lord, would you pledge to Him right now, God, bring me to that person so I can speak your words, your words of life, words that strengthen, words that would give them permission To lean this way, just for a moment. Lean this way. And if there's anything in your heart that you need to lay down before you step up to the table, if there's anything you need to give back to Him, Would you do it now? If you're here and you're, you're not a church member, but if you consider yourself to be a, an authentic follower of Christ, you have followed Him in every way. You know how we invite you to participate in every way. But if you're not a believer and, and you feel awkward, listen, nothing magical is going to happen. You take this bread, you take this cup. We're, we're not watching you, but that's not going to make you a Christian anyway. Just, just let it go by. No one will care. But would you take this moment to settle business with a God who desires that you know Him and the power of His resurrection I'm going to invite our pastoral team to come and join me here at the table. And I'm going to ask Pastor Ollie if he would lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving for the bread, which is the body of Christ.
0: Let us pray. Lord God, as we take this bread, remember your Son, Jesus Christ, the bread of life. Jesus, you give us life, you feed our soul, you nourish our hearts, and you strengthen us to run the race before us. As we break the bread, remember you, dear Jesus, your body broken on the cross for our sakes. We thank you with all our hearts for the great price you paid when you were crucified on the cross for us. But the grave cannot hold you, our beloved Saviour. You rose again. You triumph over death as Lord of Lords and King of Kings forever. And we join to you by faith can also experience this life eternal forevermore. We give you glory and praise. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.